Congress is once again looking to make changes to federal benefits in several different ways. Improving death benefits and making changes to catch-up contributions are two goals of lawmakers this year. And there's much more that's still on the table. Here with the details is Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Drew, welcome. Thanks for having me, Eric. Of course, of course. So there are several different bills still on the table this fall. Let's go through a few of them. One is called the Federal Retirement Fairness Act. What would this do and who would that impact? So that bill would specifically target the retirement benefits for former seasonal and temporary federal employees who convert to full-time federal employment. So think about people like wildland firefighters and park rangers. These are people who just work for part of the year during peak seasons, but eventually they might want to transfer to something that's a full-time year-round position. The idea of the bill here is to give those workers a chance to make uh, catch-up contributions for their retirement savings and be able to retire on time. So even though you do have a lot of federal employees in that position where they transfer from something seasonal to something full-time, they currently don't have the opportunity to make retirement contributions for their time spent in the temporary position. And what happened was that lawmakers said that they noticed, you know, over time, that those workers compared with those who are just in these full-time positions in government, they aren't receiving the same benefits. And over time that those employees who were previously in the temporary positions end up having to work longer than their colleagues to earn the same uh, retirement benefits. So what the bill would do is just correct that and allow for those workers to uh, make catch-up contributions and retire at the same time as their colleagues. Interesting. Okay, so where does this bill stand and how much progress has been made on it? So this bill has been around for about five years and it's reintroduced uh, every year. The first one was in 2019. This year, there is so far only a House bill and they're looking right now to try to get support on the Senate side as well. So we'll see kind of how that plays out. But there is bipartisan support For the House bill, there's four original co-sponsors, two Democrats and two Republicans. There's also a lot of support from unions and federal organizations. So, you know, this is something that, you know, I guess they're hoping we'll see to gain a little bit more traction as as time goes on. We'll have to see in the next couple of months how that plays out. All right. And another piece of legislation would change death gratuities for the civilian workforce. Tell us a little bit about the history of that and why this bill was introduced. So this one, it is called the Honoring Civil Servants Killed in the Line of Duty Act. And it's another bipartisan bill from lawmakers. This one has both House and Senate versions of the bill. And what this would do is update the benefit amounts that the survivors of civilian federal employees who die on the job, how much their survivors receive. So they would get a one-time death gratuity payment as well as a coverage for funeral expenses. Right now, if you look at the cost differentials, survivors of those who um, are in the foreign service and the military who die on duty, they receive $100,000 in a one-time payment. Uh, on the other hand, civilian federal workers. So for example, law enforcement officers is a big one where this comes into play. They only receive their families only receive ten thousand dollars, so just a tenth of the cost, uh, and those amounts have not been updated in literally decades. So the bill here would would really significantly increase the amount that those families receive, and then include a cost of living adjustment every year as well, so that those don't get outdated again. So you know, there's been some support 
as I said, from both Democrats and Republicans on this bill. It's been around for several years, and I think they're hoping that it will gain a little bit more traction by the end of this year as well. Yeah, if it's been around for this long, is there any progress on it or any updates uh, of note? What we saw just last week was that the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, they took up that bill and were advanced it favorably out of the committee. So that was the latest progress update. Again, as I mentioned, it has been introduced several times. So right now it's it's possible that it could be included in some year-end legislation, but we'll just have to you know, see what happens as those appropriations bills come up and things of that nature. Speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. So while they're at it, they decided to, hey, why don't we try and fix Social Security as well while we're talking about retirement benefits? So the quite familiar Social Security Fairness Act, it's been around for a while. What is different about this year? So, yes, you are right. This one has been around for a few decades at this point. And what this bill would do is revoke both the windfall elimination provision or WEP and the government pension offset GPO. This is something, you know, Federal News Network has uh, covered for a long time. And they're usually called referred to as uh, Social Security's evil twins that reduce the Social Security amounts that some federal retirees get. The bill has been around for a long time, basically, to try to revoke those provisions that reduce the annuities. And what's different this year, Eric, to answer your question, is that there is a very large amount of co-sponsors this year. So far, there's 298, which puts it above the 290 co-sponsor threshold, which what that means is that it can be put on the House Ways and Means Committee calendar. It could also be pushed to a floor vote. So this is something where, you know, once a bill gets enough support like that, it, it can be kind of pushed forward. We haven't seen any action there yet, but there is still time. Um, I think there has been a lot of support for this and growing support, both from lawmakers and from uh, different advocacy groups over the years to to try to get those two provisions removed from law. And another bill that seems to be getting a lot of support is the one that focused on telework reform for the federal workforce. This has got a lot of uh, popularity behind it, and a lot of focus groups are are supporting it as well. Uh, What can you tell me about that one and what it would change for feds? Absolutely. So this is the uh, Telework Reform Act. Eric, we discussed this a couple of weeks ago together. And what this would do is uh, codify the definitions of telework and and remote work for federal employees and basically set some data requirements for telework. This one as well has bipartisan uh, support. So far, there's only Senate legislation on this bill, but you know we we both know that telework has been a very big topic for the federal workforce, for Congress. So it's interesting to see this new approach just in, in the most recent weeks here. But well, again, it's similar to the other bills. We'll just have to wait and see what happens if it's going to be taken up or if there's going to be a a house bill to go along with it this time wait and see we shall federal news network reporter drew friedman thank you as always thanks eric and you can find more of drew's reporting on all of these topics at federalnewsnetwork.com leadership today especially within the federal workforce is being tested more than ever before As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. 
Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Kolmstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important, so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. 
what's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human centered. The human centered is what do they need when they need it? And building modules or or just in time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, This is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight... I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision, and it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so... That was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. 
and even your title, Chief People Officer. What does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful so it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how how are things going. Um, Because we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have, to, you have to focus on different things 
through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's... Uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.